Well, it's a chilly good morning to all of you. Welcome to our service this morning, and I greet you in the name of Christ. You can turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> Just by way of announcement, before we begin the message, um, Gerald and Dora have applied for membership here at Northwoods. We're happy to have them among us for the last couple months, and so we'll look forward to receiving them as members in about three months from now, um, please let us know your input if you have input, but we look forward to that time. <clears throat> I love Revelation chapter 21. It's a picture of heaven. Um, when I was a young man, uh, actually maybe it was my senior year, our school teacher had this as a memory verse every other year. We would memorize uh, Revelation the end of 20 and all the way through the middle of chapter 22. Um, and study that through the year, say it by the end of the year. And it's one of those passages that's easy to, and assignments that's easy to put off till the end of the year. Now we gotta get it done. And I remember cramming many days trying to get this all down. But it's a beautiful passage. Last time we looked in Revelation at the harlot and the beast and the importance of understanding and avoiding the lure of the harlot church. <clears throat> want to look at a picture of heaven and we want to look at the joy that is there, the beauty that is there, and also the requirement for us to be there. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. I, there was no more sea. Can you imagine John on the Isle of Patmos as he's writing this? Um, he's separated from everything, and he's on this little island waiting to be eaten by whatever, or die from dehydration. And he looks at this as a very special thing. There's no more sea. There's no more separation. We're, we're together in the land of um, heaven. <clears throat> and I, John, verse 2, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall be there any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. What a beautiful picture. There is no more pain. There is no more death. No crying. For the former things are passed away. The things that the curse has brought on this world are passed away. Completely passed away. Now, as people look at this new Jerusalem, um, I could get into some controversy depending on where I'm at. Um, <clears throat> there's people called all millennials who believe that this is a picture of the church coming down out of heaven. The struggle with that. Now, you ask me, am I a premillennialist, all millennials? Actually, I don't think either camp has all the answers. That's where I'm at. Um, no camp has all the answers. I'm not a lenniest, all right? All of them, those are ending with an ist. But if this was the picture of the church, this is speaking of a time when Satan is bound and is no more deceiving the nations. Now, it doesn't take a lot of cookies to figure out 
we're in a tough time, all right? Satan is deceiving the nations. We are not in a place where there's no more crying, no more pain, and no more death. We experience these things. So this is a land that is coming. Um, and this is a hope that we look forward to. If we can't get a picture and say, you know, this is what heaven's going to be like, we have nothing to look forward to. Jesus wants us to get a taste. This is the beauty of heaven. This is what the beauty you are if you overcome. You will enjoy these things. Verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and on the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. He goes on to describe an amazing city. The wall of the city having 12 different layers of pure, precious stone. These walls, anybody know how high the wall? Jesse, how high are the walls? No idea. 216 feet high in our measurement today. 144 cubits. That's some humongous walls. And it says, in every few gates made of one pearl. So we're saying one pearl big enough to make three, four gates. Tremendous. And the city lieth four square. It's as wide as it is tall as it is long. Uh, how big is the city, Eric? <laughs> Any idea? This stuff was, was amazing to me. I think we need to get a, a goal on it. 1,500 miles long, wide, and high. Now that's quite a city. The beauty of this city, the incredible size of this city, blows me away. Gold clear as crystal. The rivers clear as crystal. And most of all, it's where God Himself in this Magnificent city, there's a light exhuming from this city as it comes down as he sees it. Most of all, God is there dwelling with his people. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And there will be no night there, there will be no tears there, there will be no pain there. Can you hear people saying, we're having a great time, we wish you were here. As the song once said, When we sing the song, What a Day That Will Be, let's get a a picture. We're not just struggling and fighting, trying to overcome, trying to get past someone else, trying to be more Christian than somebody else. We're looking for a city. And the city whose builder and foundation is made by God Himself. There's a doctrine that we never want to confuse when we see the beauty of heaven. How do we get in? How do we enjoy eternity with God Himself? 
Now, there's that's what chapter 21 is speaking of in the middle of the chapter. Um, there's a doctrine held by a majority of Christians today that says works don't matter. Okay, You can get in without any works. It's a saying that's a little tricky when you, as you say that, as you think that. <clears throat> Is there anyone here who says, no matter what I do in works, they won't damn me? There's nobody who here who would say, can works damn you? Absolutely they can. Then how can we say, we're, works don't matter? How, how does this all fit together? If works don't matter, but works can damn your soul, then it means something matters. Actually, there's a group, if you study the Gnostics, I found it just too close to home in America here. In the early church age, there were people holding to the doctrine that the Gnostics promoted. They considered the principal element of salvation to be direct knowledge of the supreme divinity. They called it enlightenment. If you were enlightened, uh, the flesh, the works, no matter what works, it's all just garbage. It don't matter as long as you're enlightened. <clears throat> they did not focus, according to Google, I got this part from Google, they didn't focus on sin and repentance. They simply focused on enlightenment. <clears throat> they spoke adamantly against practical spiritual requirements as long as someone was enlightened. And so these some of these sayings that we hear sound really smooth and sound good, but are we looking at both sides of them? What does it take to get into this heavenly city? We're not saved by works, but we can be damned because of them. We're saved by the blood of Christ. There's nothing else that can save us. But that's saving us redeems us to new creatures in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> There's another doctrine held by many Christians that says all your Christian, all your works will be weighed in a scales. And if your good outweighs your bad, you're in. 51%. Is that where we're cutting it? If you're 51% good, 49% bad, hey, you're in. <clears throat> That will never happen according to Scripture as well. What will allow us into these heavenly gates? I believe there's one thing that makes us ready for that city. We skipped it in verse 7. Verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. What, what a beautiful passage. He that overcometh. Overcome, that sounds like a works religion. No, it's... It's actually, look at what Scripture says. What is an overcomer? Um, no matter what family you were born in, no matter how poor or how rich, uh, no matter where you're at, an overcomer can be your status in God's kingdom. What is an overcomer? If you flip back a few pages, you don't need to turn back. You probably know the verse. But Revelation 12, verse 11, it speaks of what an overcomer is. And they overcame him. They overcame the devil. By how? They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. As I read that verse, I see exactly what Jesus taught in His three years of ministry. This is how people overcome. By the blood of the Lamb, absolutely first and foremost. 
by the word of their testimony and by giving their lives up. It says they love not their lives even unto death. They overcame the sin problem. Jesus' blood cleansed them. They overcame temptation problem. They had a testimony. They overcame the priority problem. It says they love not their lives even unto death. The sin problem, the temptation problem, the priority problem. You got any struggles with those? There's only one way to get over them. And that is by the blood of the Lamb, by you surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and living for Him creates a testimony. And the priority problem, love not their lives even unto death. It's all for Jesus. Overcomer has taken care of his sin problem. There's one cure for sin, and that is the blood of the Lamb. You know, in all of us, um, we hate to mess up. We hate to come short of something, even to each other, let alone before God. And there's something that we do to each other. If, if I wrong Delvin, the one thing that I would do is, I'm going to make it up for you. I'm, I'm going to make it up to you. And I'm going to try to do something above and beyond that you have an increase out of this rather than a loss out of this. There's something within all of us that says, hey, if it was my fault, I'm going to go above and beyond in repaying. You can never do that with sin. All of us try to do that with God at times. I'll go above and beyond. There's only one remedy for sin, and that's the blood of Christ. When we come and the blood of Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Then it says their testimony the word of their testimony, they, they overcame the temptation problem. There's a reason Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. <clears throat> Many Christians today settle for mediocre, a mediocre spiritual existence. How we live our lives creates a testimony. Turn to Matthew 5, verse 14. Keep your finger in here. We'll come back in a bit. Matthew 5, 14. <clears throat> Jesus looked on His followers in Matthew 5 and He made this statement that many Christians today would view as heresy. I quote here, Ye are the light of the world. Verse 14. Austin, you're the light of the world. Gerald, you're the light of the world. Dan, you're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Look at verse 16. Let your light, ladies, men, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Oh, that's heresy. Works don't matter, right? Jesus says, you're the light of the world. they got to see something. there got to be a testimony there. They have to see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You're the light of the world. There's a testimony there. You know, if I would, Jesus didn't stand up and look at his followers and say, All your righteousness is filthy rags. Think about this. He didn't tell them that. He said, Let your light 
so shine that they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That was spoken to the Old Testament, to when the Israelites so sold themselves into sin and debauchery. He said, look, even the temple worship was absolutely corrupt. He said, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. Jesus didn't say that to his followers. Somebody came to Jesus and asked him, how can I have eternal life? How can I have this place, this city that is coming down from God out of heaven? How can I be part of that? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, how's that done? He said, this is how it's done. And in answer of having eternal life, he tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Friends, the blood of the Lamb, our testimony has to be there. We need to light a candle. As the song says, we need to light it up. Our attitudes can ruin a testimony. You know people like that. Uh, is that... I had an interesting conversation with a lady, was it last week? Try not to say too much detail here, but a distributor was a day late. I had a special order to be that a lady wanted to pick up on Wednesday, and I told her, come Wednesday, the deliverer will be there. Wednesday came, Wednesday was going, nobody showed. Called the distributor. And they said, oh yeah, about that. We're not coming today. Okay? Yes, something happened yesterday and we can't make it today. We'll hope to be there tomorrow. And there's the lady that I had made promise. They deliver Wednesday. Come Wednesday. And I very calmly, in an even voice, I didn't scream, didn't yell, didn't throw anything across the room. In a calm, steady voice, I said, Sir, this is not acceptable. If you're not able to show on the day promised that you show up, I understand when things go wrong. Just simply call and let us know. If you knew yesterday, I should have known too. And he said, well, yeah, let me talk you to the big shot. He transferred me and I waited on line for a little bit. Realized he wasn't picking up right away, so I just hung up. I thought, well, I said my piece. <clears throat> The lady said, well, I'll be back tomorrow and get the stuff I ordered. <clears throat> Actually, her daughter came back the next day. And she said, so I'm here to pick up the stuff that didn't come yesterday. I said, well, it's here today. She said, yeah. My mom got back to home. And she said, boy, Todd was ticked off. I was ticked off. She said, she, you know, we worked with you for five years. She's never seen you angry one time, but she said you were angry yesterday. She told me, boy, he was just mad. And I can stand here and I can argue all I want. I kept an even voice. Didn't throw anything. Didn't yell. Didn't swear. That has nothing to do with it. I ruined my testimony. 
Whether I admit that or not is my problem. You know, inside I was saying, I wonder what would happen if she... Because if one little thing goes wrong with her, she hits the roof. I know it. It doesn't take much. You know what? I had to look at the lady and say, I'm sorry. I failed it. There's so many times we as Mennonites hold ourselves up here. Hey, how I did that, that wasn't wrong. See, what I was saying was, and I get a little tight, that's the way I'm strung, right? But that wasn't wrong. You know what? You ruin your testimony, the people all around you know it. You know how to get that testimony right? The blood of the Lamb. The people who are in this city are the people who are overcomers. The blood of the Lamb, they have a testimony. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, there's people that I respect that then you start seeing their appetite in movies, in music, and when you realize it, it ruins their testimony. The people there are people who have overcome temptation. We have to understand that. Third is that they love not their lives even unto death. Jesus said the command number one in all of Scripture, Old Testament and New, It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm here to say, I need growth here. Because what does that result in? To love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The result of that is we won't love our lives even unto death. That's the result of that. That's how we overcome here. It's like Stan was sharing that when we face death, there's, there's a, what was the word you used, Stan? There's a resignation. And you know what that resignation is? We will follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. If that's in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you. If that's in freedom in America, I'm with you. But they love not their lives even unto death. They followed the Lamb whithersoever He went. And so they overcame the sin problem. They overcame the temptation problem. And they overcame the priority problem. They followed the Lamb. Now it it explains in verse 8 what an overcomer is not. It says in verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Then it says in verse 8 what the overcomer is not. It says, But the fearful... How many of you struggle with fear? And the unbelieving? The fearful. <clears throat> Ann Landers, when in her day, I don't even know if she writes in the paper anymore, but Ann Landers um, was a paper writer and she would, kind of like a psychologist person, send me all your, your junk mail or your questions and I'll give you a good answer. 
at least the best she can come up with. <clears throat> she would get 10,000 letters a month. Now, how you read 10,000 letters a month uh, is beyond me and not get wore out after about month three. <clears throat> she was asked, what's the greatest problem of people in America? Number one, people are afraid. Listen to what it says. People are afraid of life. Losing health. Losing wealth. Losing a loved one. I got news for you. You're going to lose all of those. I'm not saying when. I got news for you. You're going to lose them all. But they're afraid of life. They're afraid of becoming a victim. Boy, is this real in our day. They're afraid. <clears throat> it says in Philippians one twenty eight, and in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that of God. There's people that fear. There's, there's a fear. There's a there's a dread. There's a tormenting fear. Many fear if an adversary would come. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Therefore I say unto you, take no anxious thought for your life. And you know what He said? Safety, food, clothes. Don't take any anxious thought for your life. But He also says, sufficient unto tomorrow is the evil thereof. There will be things coming that you can't handle. You might as well get that across to you now. So are you willing to say, I'll follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. I am resigned to follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. That's the person who's overcoming fear. When you realize He's the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, we don't have to fear being a victim of anything. He's my shepherd. We don't have to fear. We live in a day where the victim card is so real. We, we fear becoming a victim. You know what happens... We lose sight of following the first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who would have ever guessed the people that live in a land of freedom? There is no civil war. There is no Christians being exterminated in our land. That the very Christians who live there, the very Mennonites who live there, struggle so viciously. With fear. This is what happens when a tormenting fear grips us. It makes us afraid of being a victim more than we're focused on being an overcomer. You know, there's people who have gone through incredible situations. And I mean, they weren't treated right. Incredible situations, but they came out an overcomer. And I tell you what, reading their stories and reading their books is absolutely inspiring. Because they overcame. 
Did they have mean things happen to them? Yes, they did. But they didn't live as a victim because they had a focus on the Lamb, whithersoever He went, and they were an overcomer. We can focus on fear. We can say, what if I am a victim? Or we can say, God, give me the grace to look beyond and look to the Lamb who's walking before me. God, help me to be focused on being an overcomer. Stephen, uh, the deacon named Stephen, was he a victim? He died. He didn't die a victim. He died an overcomer. Both of those, either dying a victim or dying an overcomer, had the same effect. He still died, right? But they're worlds apart. They are absolutely worlds apart. And they loved not their lives, even unto death. That's how they overcame. That's how Revelation says they will overcome. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever He goeth. Revelation 14.4 Proverbs says, when thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Then it says something that I would like to help balance this. It says, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. There's a thing of tormenting fear, and there's a thing of sudden fear. Now, some of you, I don't see anybody half asleep, but... If, if you would be half asleep and somebody would come beside you and go like that, right? And you're, right? Or if I would say, you know, Dave had this idea to keep everybody on their toes. He released eight snakes in here. Check under your bench. You might want to double check your songbook rack, right? Some of you, when you take out your songbook, would struggle with fear if you picked up the songbook and a snake hopped out, right? That's sudden fear. It says you don't need to be afraid of sudden fear. All right, That's not the fear that's going to take your spiritual life apart. If somebody's scared when a mouse jumps out and they say, Oh, you're struggling with fear, are you? That has nothing to do with this. This fear has torment. This fear says, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. What car just pulled in the driveway? What? What? And they're always... Fearful. What, what, what's gonna come? What's gonna come? That fear has torment. When we love Jesus Christ, and I know this can sound very glib, but when we love Jesus Christ to the point where there is a total trust in Him, this is what it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. No, I love that. Hey you there! Get out of here! Right? Perfect love. When we have the perfect love where we say, I'm following the Lamb even unto death. That, that love looks at our life and says, Hey, right there, get out of here. Casteth out. It means grabs by the scruff of the neck, takes him to the door, and throws him out. That's what love does to fear. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. We can't be an overcomer 
and struggle with fear. When people heard that Todd Miller was a, even speaks in front of a group, there's a dear old lady back home that chuckled when she heard that. She said, he couldn't even look up and talk to me one-on-one. How in the world does he get up in front of a group and talk at people? You know, all of us face fears. But when we start looking to the Lamb and His call on us to follow Him, that love that we have for the Lamb is going to take any kind of fear you know and drag it to the door and throw it out the window. There's freedom. You know, there's other things... We, we can't be an overcomer and be bound by fear. It's absolutely impossible. I need to skip on my list here. There's something else that I believe we need to look at. There's, there's these things we're not overcoming as God is calling us to overcome. The unbelievers, the abominable. That means people who take pleasure in what God says stinks. Well, that's happening in our day. Abomination is something that absolutely reeks to God. Murderers. Uh, We don't kill one another, but Jesus said, whosoever sneers at another says, you fool, is in danger of hellfire. He says that in Matthew. He says that also right here. And then it says whoremongers, those who are sexually impure. Then it says the word sorcerers. And let me be honest with you, I I read the word sorcerers and I actually left it blank because I thought, well, sorcery, I mean, we don't, that's something for maybe Africa or people that struggle with third world, third world type things. Doesn't affect the Anabaptist church or even very strong in America. But actually the opposite is actually true. How many of you heard of water witching? I see your hand. Friends, that's sorcery. I'm not here to try to make enemies. I'm here to say there are things that are done scientifically that no matter if Jared or Brian or Jeffrey or TJ does it, it's a scientific fact. If you drop that book, it'll drop for all four of you, right? There's there's no argument. They're all going to go down. In water witching, that is something the Anabaptists are known for. They take a forked stick, and that's about the extent I know of it. But they hold it and they use it in the same way a witch uses a forked stick to look for the trail of a lost person, of lost jewelry, of water, of the future. That's exactly how a witch or a medium searches for those things. The Anabaptists found these things and there's a book called the 6th and 7th book of Moses. It came out in about the middle 1800s. It came out among the German people. They said, well, it was a hidden Jewish text. And it's amazing how they find all these spiritual things that they call spiritual, that friends, it's sorcery. It's not calling upon Jesus Christ. For wisdom and guidance. It's using sorcery to find something. 
This is closer in our circles than what we care to recognize. Water witching. There's another thing that's called hex signs. You travel to Pennsylvania and you'll see hex signs painted on the barn. They come from the seventh book of Moses. You know, this cuts through every culture. We can look at the Amish and we can say, you know, they're separated from the lusts of the world. They surely have it made. If we would all become Amish, and you know what, sorcery is a very strong thing in the Amish church. Very strong. In fact, you go back to my ancestors in Hartville, Ohio, and you would ask any of them, do you know what a black box is? Oh, yeah. Yep. You know what water witching is? Oh, yeah. And some of them were good at it. These follow the Lamb, whithersoever He goeth. Sorcery has no part in a person following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, am I trying to condemn my forefathers who went before? I'm not the judge of my forefathers. But friends, I know I need to guard my own heart against these things. I can't just say, well, they did it, must be good enough for me. There is an incredible danger in that, that we need to be aware of. These are people who are not overcomers. Sorcerers, idolaters, and then it says, and all liars. Now, I was taught clearly, I think my mom would be proud of me for saying this, you never call someone a liar, personally. Never. And this is how I was taught, because my brother could say things that are untrue without intentionally saying something that's untrue. He misunderstood facts. As he said those, and I say, you're a liar. Who does that make a liar? Me. Because he literally wasn't lying. He misunderstood facts. There's people who can deceive, and deceiving is wrong. But they didn't literally say untruth. If I call them a liar, who's the real liar? That's me. Better have two or three witnesses agree before there's a charge of lying. Or you could be in serious trouble. That's what my mom taught me. I believe it's good advice. I believe it's scriptural advice. You be very careful in condemning someone as a liar. Because here's the, here's the clincher. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's not just all liars. It's all sorcerers. It's all idolaters. And it's all fearful. This place, this city, is truly prepared for people who are following the Lamb. And we can all too glibly say, yeah, I follow Jesus. But in reality, the blood of the Lamb has been applied. We're letting our light so shine before men. We are overcoming priorities by following the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. Those three things spell out an overcomer. I want to see all of us striving to enter in. Like Jesus said, strive to enter in at the narrow gate. I, I love the promise. 
Jesus says, closing out this chapter, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Actually, closing out the book, 22, verse 16. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. I, I love those verses. Jesus is saying, come. The Spirit is saying, come. And let those who hear Jesus say, come into their lives, let them tell other people, come. Don't, don't look and say, well, man, they're a mess. Their life is a mess. They got so much garbage in their life. How could they ever be straightened out? Friend, if you hear the bride say, come, you can honestly look and say, you can give hope to anybody and say, come. He which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I don't know what to make of an incredible city. But I know one thing, I don't want to miss it. There's nothing on earth worth missing heaven for. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Lord, thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you for the hope of eternal life. Lord, as we look at the Jewish people who became so glib in their courage and in their confidence... And yet it was an empty confidence. Lord, as we look into your word, I pray, Lord, that we would um, have a confidence in eternal life that is from the Scriptures, that we can know and are assured of your salvation in our hearts, changing us by the blood of Christ. And Lord, that we truly are a people who aren't living for ourselves, but are following the Lamb and are living a testimony for you because you're worthy. Not because we're good, but because you're worthy. And Lord, I also pray that when tough times come, when fear wants to enter in, Lord, that we truly take, have taken care of the priority problem. We're willing to follow you whithersoever you lead us. Give us courage in the day of adversity and help us, Lord, to be overcomers as you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.